Hey gang, welcome to episode 65 of the No Persinium podcast, your guide to immersive entertainment. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from Los Angeles, California. Today on the show, our guest is Jennifer Zhang, the creator of Oblivious, a video game theater experience, which I got to check out at the Hollywood Fringe this year. Uh, we recorded this episode a few weeks ago, uh, and we're going to use this as sort of a, a little bit of a breather from all the, the spooky season action that's going on right now here in L.A. and and other environs. I know we, we get people from all over. Um, so this is one of our more philosophical episodes, uh, if you will. And uh, it's a really good conversation, so get ready to relax, listen, uh, I don't even think we cursed this time, but before, I mean, I might a little bit, I'm, I'm not putting the explicit tag on this time, so take it at your own risk. Uh, we're not always potty mouths around here. Um, I feel like I'm talking to kindergartners because I'm a kindergartner. You want the news and notes, let's do the news and notes. Hey! The newsletters are packed right now. I'm frankly terrified. Uh, we talked a lot about what's going on in LA. I'm going to loop back around to that in a second. But first, I want to touch base with what's happening in New York. This weekend, if memory serves, uh, Whisper Lounge, which is the latest from Houseworld's Andrew Hefner, is, uh, well, it's sold out. That's the bad news. The good news is, is that it's happening. And maybe one day we'll get a longer run from it. And uh, I believe Zay is going to be checking that out. So if you are there and checking out the show, uh, look for Zay. He'll be at one of the instances. There's so much more going on in New York. There's stuff that's announced for November, Pips Island, uh, just a magical tree portal away from your world. There exists a fantastical island that any child with an explorer's spirit can discover for themselves. So a family-friendly, all-ages, interactive piece that's going on at the Skylight Modern starts up in November. You know, we've got... Oh my God, there's so much going on. Guys, 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 there's too much. Uh, the V Lucas cycle is happening September 30th through October 2nd. So that's like right now. Uh, this is part of the uh, alternative theater for the blind. So uh, there's there's a blindfold-based show. that That's a really powerful medium for, for getting into your head and, and shifting perspective uh, for those of us who um, are cited. Uh, Paradiso, which is the escape room, which was uh, designed by one of the the er designers of this sort of immersive material. Uh, it's still happening in Koreatown through October 20th. Uh, there's just, there's there's tons. Now here's here's the pro tip on on checking this stuff out for yourself on any of the newsletters. One, um, if for some reason you listen to the podcast and you don't subscribe to the newsletters, like they're free. So I don't know why you're doing that. Um, I mean, I'll hit you up for money in a second, but they are free. So you should go to nopersinium.com, sign up for the newsletter. And on any newsletter, if you pick the open email in your browser option, you're going to find a little bar at the top, happily provided by MailChimp, that's going to have the subscribe button, which is weird, uh, the share drop down menu option uh, which is great for sharing it and then the past issues button which leads you to the recent archive I'm checking it out right now it goes all the way back to late June at the moment uh, and it's got everything it's got the New York it's got the West Coast it's got LA Chicago anywhere we've got a newsletter for the past few months it's in there for you to check out in case you miss something in case you missed the giant spooky spectacular uh, that uh, just happened in LA that's how you go. If you're in another, another town, want to see what's going on elsewhere, 
and you don't feel like subscribing to the issue all the time, just use past issues and you'll find a cornucopia of stuff there. Hey, let's jump up to the Bay Area this weekend. Come Out and Play still going on, and Epic Immersive has their entry in the festival happening. It's getting a, a nice amount of buzz. Epic Immersive folks go all out from what I know, and I'm slightly jealous uh, that I went to the Bay Area last week and not this week because uh, I could have uh, killed a lot of birds with uh, one stone. I did get up there to see We Players Romeo and Juliet. I will have a review of that on the website very soon. Speaking of reviews on the website, and by the website, I mean Medium, our Medium collection at medium.com slash no dash proscenium. I just released a whole bunch of stuff. So let's just, let's go over what's popped out today. Uh, a review of White Rabbit, Red Rabbit, which is one of the centerpieces of the LAX Fest. That's the Live Arts Exchange Festival, which is an experimental and uh, experimental contemporary performance festival. Yes, I said that right. That happens here in Los Angeles every September slash October. Uh, White Rabbit, Red Rabbit is uh, by an Iranian playwright, and it raises all kinds of amazing questions, and it's really totally worth it. And here's the fun thing. If you are in New York, it's coming to Broadway soon. So they're going to get some New York actors to do the piece. Um, check out the review. I try not to spoil too much because it's almost more of a social experiment than it is a play. Uh, I highly recommend it if you like experimental theaters and you like things that mess with your head a little bit. Another piece that is in the LAX Fest uh, is Among Us, which is by one of our previous podcast guests, Marika Splint, who's working at UCLA these days. This is a pod play piece. Really wonderful, uh, highly interactive piece. You know, it's it's based out of observation. It it it's broken up into two pieces. Uh, the first part's at Union Station in downtown LA. The second is in an undisclosed location, which you're told about at the end of the Union Station piece. Just a lovely piece um, that's kind of like a meditation on individuality and crowds and, and, and all sorts of stuff and participation. Um, fantastic work, and I'm so glad it's here and it's going on through October 2nd as part of the festival, and the review is up on the site. Also up at the Medium Collection, uh, a review of Devoted Forever, which is part of the Devoted Cycle, which Shine On Collective is doing here in L.A. Uh, right now. The uh, the final part, the big part, Devoted, which is the Halloween show, is uh, still on sale and is going to be starting up, I believe, on October 21st, I think is the first one, if my memory is serving. Uh, that piece is called, uh, the review is called Blindfolded Date. My Night with Kara. Um, I know. I mean, look, I wrote the title really late. Um, but also, I kind of like it because I'm a cheese ball. Um, they're doing a lot of really interesting work. There's, there's sort of a stirring in the way I'm thinking about these things happening. And I think when we get uh, Zay and I together for an After Dark soon, uh, we're going to have a lot of um, kind of kind of some new perspectives are coming in on how we approach this material. Speaking of how we approach this material, I'm going to tension tonight. And um, I'm... Uh, Here's 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 something I've learned. Here's something I've learned. You can only take your keys in with you. And um I'm I'm okay with that because I have a car. One of my dear friends uh doesn't have a car. She Ubers. And I'm just like we live in a slightly different era. We live in a slightly different era. Uh, is is this what I want to say from the beginning and I mean, maybe it wouldn't really matter. I'm not sure. Just coming in from the outside and knowing what a couple of people told me just in terms of the mechanics of it, I gotta say, 
I'm putting a red flag out. I'm kind of like, do you really, do you really need to, I mean, I go to escape rooms and we can put our wallets away. Uh, I know people don't want to take on the liability, but like a little bit of, come on, uh, there seems to be a lot of effort there, but nevertheless, uh, I'm going to be ready for it. I worry about other people. It's what I do. It's almost like what I do for a living. That is the news and the notes. I'm sure there's something else, but it's a kind of a busy news season right now. So uh, there'll be time for philosophizing later. There'll be time right now for hearing some philosophizing from the past. As uh, Jennifer Zhang and I talk about her piece, Oblivious, uh, we talk about performing in immersive theater. We talk about mixing uh, gaming and theater. Uh, it's a it's a it's a lovely lovely conversation, and hopefully, uh, we'll give you a little more insight into the way this strange little world of ours works. Yeah, this is always just like a conversation. Okay, right? sure. So um, we just sort of stumble into it. Okay, and uh, there'll be a cold open where I describe a few things, like you know, talk about some of the basics, mm-hmm. but. Let's start, I guess there's a good place to start with some of the basics, is um, you know, the reason why I know you is because of the show Oblivious. So mm-hmm. for the folks who didn't go see the show, mm-hmm. could you like kind of give like a little, and I realize I'm actually, I'm actually doing the thing that they, they insist that I don't do, which is I'm being really relatively quiet. I'm seeing the levels here and they're coming in shorter than I want them to. Um, we'll do this again. We'll pretend that didn't happen, uh, and then it didn't go that way. <laughs> nothing went that way. Yeah, nothing not went that at way. all. So here's the actual start. Um, <laughs> for those for those who uh, didn't see Oblivious, could you kind of give like the elevator pitch? Like what what sure. was slash is Oblivious? Because I'm not sure they're I'm not sure if you're done with it yet. So. Yeah, I don't know if I am either, or if I am with that one. I'm not sure if I'm done with video game theater as a whole. Mm. Um, I coined it video game theater because I feel like it's the intersection of interactive theater and the structure of video, video games. So we're trying to put video game mechanics into a real live theater space mm-hmm. so that audience members can have the experience of a playable environment as they experience it through like the storytelling uh capacities of a theater show now what what drove that approach like Mm -hmm. did you start did you start out you know i don't know i don't want to even speculate like (laughs) i can think of like four or five different ways that you might have reached that but Mm -hmm. what was it what brought you to that idea um there are many different things um so i started off working with uh my best friend gilly and uh she took a class at cal arts that was called sound game space and that influenced her to uh make live interactive environments Mm. that was very audience responsive. So um, she presented that idea to me and then I fused it with this original idea that I had for an audience controlled story. So when we met in the middle, I started brainstorming about like, well, you know, what kind of games do we like to play? And then things came up like Portal, Bioshock, you know, all these titles came up that make modern video gaming such a, you know, huge hit. So we wanted to incorporate all of those different themes and then put it together into one story. And I started to make this sci-fi tale about this dystopian world that runs under uh, government surveillance. And then Oblivious just was born from there. When you're looking at 
there's the theatrical side of things. There's the mm-hmm. performance side of things. You you play the evil, the, the physical incarnation of the, the <laughs> yeah. evil computer as, yeah, as yeah. part of this. But when you're looking at when you look at it from like an interaction design standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. Like the the thing, the weird thing about when I saw Oblivious or when I participated in Oblivious was that it was a it was an off day at the Fringe, and so it was just mm-hmm. me and one other person, right? So it was <laughs> yeah. like the smallest audience you ever wound up having, exactly. Because the game requires or calls for three people, and yeah. then when people <laughs> get tagged out, it's possible to get tagged out. You can recycle right. someone else in. So this was very much like it was on us or or nothing, right? Yes, yes, um, which was really cool, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, like, would you, here's a question, would you okay. let us fail? Because, like, there's just the two of us, right? Like, well, like, we, the... we nearly, because <laughs> we nearly did, we, we were down to, like, the last second on one of the puzzles. Yeah, yeah um, so here's the thing. I mean, the, the structure that we had for the game for the Hollywood Fringe was kind of, like, rigged to win, right. but in some ways, like, if you had failed... I think we would have just like reset the game so that you would play as though you were a player that just hit game over on your console and had to restart at the same checkpoint, right. which is how a video game works anyway. Like yeah. if a single player were to do that, then you die multiple times before you reach the end. It's right. almost like failure is the way in which you learn how to go right. Although it does, does wind up offering up the question of how would one rage quit a theatrical production? I don't uh, know. I think that would be great. I've seen well, be people... Well, be careful what you invite. Be careful what you invite. I've seen people mentally rage quit already. I mean, they just mm. kind of like go inwards, mm. you know, and then they start like... They start shutting down. And that's the moment when when you have more than three people playing, then the audience becomes like that energetic fuel that they can have, you know? What I found that works the best during these uh, playthroughs is if the audience is completely supportive of what's happening on stage and they're as engaged as the people playing. Right. Because if they're rallying behind the audience members, then they clue them into things that perhaps the audience members uh, that are playing on stage can't necessarily see at first glance you know they can point out clues that are in the space or they can uh you know give moral support where it's needed so i think it's so interesting because like on that night that you went you both were like really into it so like in in a sense like you were powering through yourselves which is great yeah you know well it was fun in that in that like it was it there was no pressure to mm. perform yeah. and thus we could really perform. And actually, mm. uh, one of my favorite books is this book by uh, the, the sort of religious philosopher mm. James Carse. Uh, it's called uh, Finite and Infinite Games. Mm. And uh, it's, it posits that there are finite games mm-hmm. that are played within boundaries. And then there is such a thing as an infinite game that is mm. played uh, with boundaries. And then it, hmm. it goes off in all these different directions. It's really interesting. But one wow. of the things that's always stuck with me in the book mm-hmm. is the adage, uh, those who must play mm-hmm. cannot play. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And the emphasis being those who must play cannot play. Hmm. Right? So if you are in a scenario where... Uh, your performance is absolutely required mm-hmm. and and you have been uh, directed to do so, then that in, innate sense of playfulness mm-hmm. is short-circuited. Mm. And 
so there we were, me and this guy I don't know, who turns out to be a friend of a friend, <laughs> uh, because that's the way the world Because works. theater is incestuous, so and Particularly Los Angeles theater. Um, <laughs> uh, well, particularly any town's theater is... Uh, that's, that's a whole other story. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so, like, we didn't know each other, and we were given these sets of tasks, but mm. we were both fairly game mm-hmm. and just went straight forward. That and, like, mm-hmm. what we were getting from you guys, I mean, there was such such delight discovery. But it, mm-hmm. it, it did make me wonder what it would have been like to be there just in the audience. And I yeah. know, and we've, yeah. we've talked about this before when we've sat down together, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, you know, I told you like a couple of people I know, a couple of people listen to the podcast, mm-hmm. like they, they, I think were just like witnesses and didn't, they didn't get into it. Yeah. Other people I know who've also been on the podcast, like totally mm-hmm. loved the mm-hmm. setup because they got to play. Yeah. So that's, there, there's a question there. Like you've got this thing that is both involves participants and right. the chance to play exactly, yeah. But how do you how do you design for the, this idea that there's there's a passive audience um, as part of the spectacle part of it? Yeah. Um, so I knew starting out that since we were presenting for the Hollywood Fringe or for like any finite you know theater play time in general, mm-hmm. like you would have to limit yourself as far as like how long the playtime goes. You know, if you make the game too difficult, then it goes on for too long. If there are too many audience members playing, there's too many factors to control, it could go on for too long. Mm. You know, a lot of it was just controlling the amount of time it took to succeed. So that way we narrowed it down to three players because we figured, well, an important part of uh, theater is witnessing, is being a spectator and therefore, not being passive, there's a difference between that, you know, there's a difference between spectating and watching, I would say. But, um, mm, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I would think that um, the anticipation of potentially getting picked is like incentive enough to be present while watching, but also like just appreciating the fact that something is unfolding in front of you and that, you know, yeah. it, I feel like is enough for some people because like I I wanted to be careful because a lot of people told me that um, there will be people that don't want to participate you know and they'll have never experienced something like this before I was trying to reach out to uh, people who potentially are unfamiliar with immersive theater or are completely uncomfortable with interaction you know so I was trying to find that happy medium where people could go into a safe space and feel like they would be taken care of if they didn't want to go up yeah and, you know, have for people that did want to go up to go up. And that's why we had the immigration forms in the beginning. Right. Like you're being inducted into this country. So on the form, you would say whether or not, um, you know, yes, no, maybe. Are you willing to participate? And, you know, there were some nights where there was hardly anybody that wanted to participate. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like literally only one person checked yes. The rest were like maybe and yeah. no's, like no, no, no. There was a guy that just wrote no all over his paper, <laughs> which, which makes you wonder, like, why, why you would go in the first place, you just know? to check it out. Yeah, which is exactly yeah. what I was trying to do. I was trying to like fish and see what kinds of people would show up to something like this and right. just see something that they've probably never seen before you know even though like the more seasoned group that have been to like escape room games or like you know themed entertainment type situations they would be totally familiar with this you know but i just wanted to cater to an audience that perhaps hasn't seen too much of this or like 
wanted to see this phrased in a different way. Yeah. Well, yeah. and there's also, and given the setup, right? Like, unlike, say, a Sleep No More or Then She Fell, mm. just use our, our two favorite go-tos, <laughs> you know, um, the person who's on stage is on stage, right? Like, right. they are, in a sense... They're performing in the sense that an athlete performs, mm. right? Or the con- or really apt, a contestant on a game show performs. Like the mm. perfect analogy is The Price is Right or mm. Let's Make a Deal, where mm. you could just be pulled out of the audience and sent up on stage and this is your chance to like shine. Yeah. But you could also just be pulled up on stage and like go, oh, I don't know. And mm. like they do they do a lot of vetting on The Price is Right to make mm. sure that they're getting the most interesting people, that they're right, not getting a psychopath right. who's going to like strangle Drew. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is why I've never known. Um, and, and oh, <laughs> we no. go every week, but they don't let me get picked. No. Save Drew. Uh, Hashtag. No. <laughs> uh, he's doing fine without anyone needing to save him. Um, Good. The, uh, I, don't, I don't know why that came up, but um, the, uh, I've never found him funny. That's how it comes up. Uh, the, uh, the, the point being that uh, you, the spotlight's on you. And there's mm-hmm. so many people I know when... I talk to them about immersive theater. Like, oh, I'd never do that because I don't want... And mm-hmm, the thing mm-hmm. is, I don't want the spotlight on me. You know? Like, yeah. And, and something like a, a, a piece that's all made out of one-on-ones, mm-hmm. you know, the spotlight's never on you because it's just mm-hmm. you and the performer. Like, it's yeah. a secret nobody knows, right? Mm-hmm. And this is definitely a different kind of space because there is... Yeah. There is a bit of a performance element. There is. It's a bit like entering a coliseum, and you yeah. are the gladiator, but you also get an entire horde of people whose voices influence you. Yeah. So, like... For the right person, that's amazing. Yeah. For the right audience, that's amazing, you know? And um, I've told you this before when we've talked um, earlier, but I think oblivious, or like whatever attempt it was trying to be, uh, benefits from uh, audiences that are willing to give as much as they are taking away. You know, so like some of our more um, more happy, more lively audience members tended to be the ones who were standing behind the players no matter what. Mm. They were like on the edges of their seat, barking instructions or rallying them up or giving them moral support or cheering them on or just basically yelling at them for doing something wrong. Yeah. You know, so like <laughs> there was just a lot of push and pull from the audience. And I think it has to be that, yeah. you know, well, how do you give how do you give an audience permission to do that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's something that I feel like we um, we wrestled with during the entire production process, but we found maybe a couple of clues as to how that can be accomplished. I mean, one of them being uh, live actors. You know, we have the one uh, character who is on stage the entire time who is Praxis, the immigrations officer. And his role is supposed to be somewhat of a facilitator. You know, he keeps the peace, like in case something goes extremely awry, or he can also um, make the audience members feel comfortable enough to just be free and with themselves and to Mm. speak out loud if they want to Mm. or to get up out of their seats and move if they want to. You know, there was no expressed instruction that said that the audience members couldn't come out of their seats, but because they were there, of course, like like a screen, people's eyes were just drawn to it and they just like sank into them. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, the character of Praxis was originally meant to be somewhat of a Cirque du Soleil Soleil type clown, Mm -hmm. you know, where um, if you could play uh, games with the audience, like make them stand up from their seat or like sit down a certain way or make fun of them when they're coming in, you know, then audience members feel more like 
even while they're sitting down, they're still part of the world. Right. And therefore, they can say something if something is happening in the yeah. world. And it's in a, in a festival setting, uh, well, in a theater festival setting, like mm-hmm. trying to find ways to make these elements more plastic can mm-hmm. can kind of be well difficult or weird you know because oh, like because people are like running from show to show to show yeah. and like the social contract mm-hmm. is pretty much the same in all of them and then right. to, and then to be presented with something different it's like whoa you know mm-hmm. how or they sit there and they go like no 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 like oh um, yeah i've yeah. definitely seen a lot of that yeah. yeah um as far as like the social contract thing you said like yeah you hit it right on the head i mean there were some people that just came in expecting to just chillax and consume a show you know and those people did not benefit from this kind of performance because you you have to be very engaged yeah and you have to be willing to participate yeah and you have to just be like willing to go with the flow you know and uh but the thing is you know like you can't really know that straight off the bat like it's something where even if you describe it to someone or even if you describe the gameplay and the nature of the show to somebody it doesn't really sink in what it really is until you're in there right. you know so you kind of have have to have this like free fall mentality of just like i'm gonna try it and i'm gonna see what happens for the gameplay side of things, what, where did you pull inspiration from? Because mm-hmm. you know, thematically, you were you know attracted to Portal and to and to Bioshock, mm-hmm. and you've got like the cyberpunk dystopian thing going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the physical mechanics are are, are out of necessity, mm-hmm. not the same. So what were you, what were what was the inspiration? What were you looking at? What was informing? Uh, yeah, so many different things for that. I mean, for this show, we specifically separated into like chapters or rounds, like within a game. And so there were different objectives to accomplish in the space per round. So like, for example, the first round was somewhat more of a scavenger hunt where things were hidden in the space and you basically had to find the tool that could be used to destroy those hidden things and then you trace them down. They were basically security cameras in this world of surveillance. Um, so yeah, the, it was more of a uh, scavenger hunt mm. than anything else. And all of these rounds were timed to give more of a sense of, uh, well, A, to give more of a sense of urgency, and right. B, to actually limit and facilitate the um, you know, the time it took to get to the end because yeah. duration is important, you know? Yeah. And in the fringe, you can't go over half an hour because then no, people can't. start crawling out of their seats and like the show blows over and oh my God. Well, the next show's going to load in. Right? Yeah, it's exactly. Actually, it's, it's, it's actually really good practice for someone mm-hmm. who's who's doing something like a escape room or something where it's like, yeah, you know, you've, got, you've got this much time because mm-hmm. you've got to get this many people through the turnstiles. Right, right. And so like... Um, as it progresses, the rounds definitely change. I mean, the goals and objectives change per round. So like the second one was, um, something very like functional, I think like there were props in the space that the characters didn't really know what to do with until they just tried things out, Right. you know? So they were given an objective, which was, um, to deafen Candace, the main antagonist. 
uh, to deafen her with a frequency. And they're not told what to find or how right. to find it or what to do. So you kind of just have to look at the stage and go like, okay, so there are blocks. Yeah. There are boxes. We've already yeah. figured out that you can open some boxes. Yeah. So then, you know, some of the audience members are like, well, uh, flip them over or something. Yeah. You know, and at some point, if they seem very stuck, the facilitator of Praxis will say something like, we got to get to the bottom of this, users. Or like, yeah. we got to look at the dark underbelly of this. You yeah. know, like... Yeah, some just, cheesy, a cheesy clue. <laughs> some cheesy pun. Because yeah. like, with games, you could get away with being cheesy. Because yeah. it's just like, come on, you know? But there's... And, but I mean, in a full audience, though, because you can rotate people in, there's also, though, a little yeah. bit of incentive to let people fail completely. Yeah. To kind of push more people and through. And people definitely have. That yeah. second round was actually our hardest game round, I think, because it's such a free-for-all. It doesn't right. hold your hand through it anymore yeah. as much as the first one. We nearly lost. Like, we... Yeah. We had, I think, like mm-hmm. a second left right. on the timer. Yeah. Uh, which is one of the mm-hmm. things that made the whole experience awesome was mm-hmm. like we nearly completely failed. And, then we <laughs> yeah. and there's nothing better, as a gamer, there's mm-hmm. nothing better than pulling out a victory mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. just by an inch. And then, oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, it's the best thing. It's happened multiple times, too. I think like the amount of time that we allotted, I think it was three minutes yeah. for round two, was like the perfect amount of time for people to like, A, figure out what the hell is going on. Yeah, it takes a minute to figure and out like, like, what are we doing? What are we doing here? <laughs> yeah, and just like to proceed from there. Um, yeah, it was really funny because like the first round, they, the game really walks you through that, you know? Like you get lights that flash, you get an audio cue, like every time you find a security camera, you get rewarded with the voiceover that tells you, yes, you found one, now you have this much more to go, you know? So you get your hand held through that entire time. But then for round two, you're just kind of left on your own. So you have to realize like, okay, so now I have to really just, you know, observe the space and flip it inside out and no longer am i just like sitting and watching sitting and watching will do you no good right. you know like you have to actually engage yeah so i think that was the most successful round that we had um the third round was an attempt for me to um reach out to the audience members who were seated and have them have a say in what happens in the game. So the third round uh, was a vote. It was an audience vote. They got to put on masks if they voted yes. They got to veto wearing the mask if they chose no. And uh, the point of the vote was to determine whether or not they wanted to use a DDoS uh, denial distributed attack on the network to shut down this uh, dictator's access to the internet, basically. So um, most people chose to wear the mask, which is to be expected, you know, like, which is also a good thing because it shows that people are listening and people are engaging and they're willing to participate in something, even if they're not like up there doing the hurrahs and whatnot, you know? So yeah, that was good. But actually, yeah, come to think of it, no audience voted no, Hmm. but if they did, okay, spoiler alert, but um, Praxis would have died. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Praxis would have died. He would have sacrificed himself to uh, plant a virus in the network oh, instead wow. of doing a DDoS. And then, you, and then in your last round, you'd have Praxis free, so alter, alter <laughs> the, the, the landscape of the game a little bit. Yeah, that was, that was funny because like, when we did it, of course, mm-hmm. there was no audience members. So I remember I think I ran into the <laughs> audience and started like... <laughs> pulling the masks out of from underneath the chairs and putting them on the chairs oh in God. order to uh, right right in order to like make up for the lack of people being Just able to vote create like a wee me audience that goes like yeah pretty much pretty much <laughs> 
Uh, and then the final round was, oh, the, was the boss fight. Yes, uh, And it the was. boss fight was like a multi-round, multi-sub round against you. <laughs> right, you exactly. You came out in a, in like a... Like a light a, wire spider costume. Yeah. 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 And yeah. then performed like boss maneuvers <laughs> uh, as as you chased us around uh, right. the stage. Yeah, and we we flashed flashlights at you. So, um, which was pretty hilarious. Now, between that experience and there was another there was another piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jericho will be upset because like then in Scarlet will be upset because uh, the name is escaping me at the moment because uh, it was a one night piece that was in Hollywood. You were in. You were in. Grandpa Johnson. Grandpa is Johnson's. Dead. Gra- Grandpa, <laughs> Johnson's. Grandpa Johnson's is dead. It was just, is dead because it was at Grandpa Johnson's, yeah. um, and that was um, that was sort of like a, a jukebox pop up theater thing is like the best way I can describe it. Yeah. Some of which were interactive, some of which were immersive, some right, of which like right. were like it was like a, kind of a random assortion. Right. Um, it was and, like a four piece cast, and I was one of the. Yeah. people and we all just devise the process together yeah yeah and and so between that and and oblivious i've mm. seen you in, in these two performances you've also seen me in into the fog i did i did <laughs> but like i didn't like i didn't know you at yeah the time, that's true right? or like that's i didn't true. like didn't like sit down and, and talk with you mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and into into the fog is like for for those that was a couple of years ago at the Hollywood Fringe. It's a movement piece that mm-hmm. was uh, Sam Shea and I believe Sam Zabo or yeah or through source the, material through yeah. source material where the, the the directors and choreographers on that uh, Sam Shea has now has like an international uh, yeah. performance art career going on yeah uh, and and we don't get to see her here in L A all that often <laughs> um, but it was an absolutely sure. beautiful piece mm-hmm. uh, movement based piece a couple of years ago yeah that piece piece changed my life definitely. Yeah. yeah. Well, we can. We so let's as a performer. Yeah. Um. In this, in this interaction mm-hmm. space, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what? I mean, you're 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 just starting out in your professional career. You're just out of CalArts. You've been mm-hmm. exploring this kind of work now for yeah. you know this this year, and you've been doing movement based stuff for a little longer than that. Mm-hmm. But what's what's your what are you learning about? Mm-hmm dealing with the audience as an active force as a performer oh yeah oh my god there's so many things that can be said about that I mean I think one of the strongest things I took away from CalArts is that you have to be um your audience is only as responsive as you can make them feel safe Mm. and I think like the um, the huge responsibility on performers during interactive or immersive pieces is making the audience members feel safe enough to give consent to be part of these performances. So, like, I was really nervous, actually, right before uh, Is Dead, the Grandpa Johnson's piece, because I had never been so directly involved with people mm. um, in performances before. I mean, theater in itself is already so confrontational because you're living and you're sharing live experience with someone you know there's no way to turn it off there's no way to just sit behind a screen and be doing whatever you want to be doing right you know like if you like, wanted to leave you as a as right. an audience member you have to leave right physically which is itself another way of yeah. action yeah yeah it's a it's a big statement i mean like there have been mm. shows where i've wanted to like chew my foot off <laughs> uh, to get, feel like a, a right you know bear in a trap or a wolf like mm-hmm. caught and and there have been shows where I've like jumped off the side of you know oh the God. like in a ninety nine seat theater and like it's like a riser or something it's like I gotta get out of here like this is yeah. just, it's too bad oh, you know wow. um, 
so yeah, um, it's it's very but mm-hmm. and, and the social pressure is often there to like yeah. not do it, you know, just endure, mm-hmm. slip out an intermission if there's an intermission. Totally. But you're mm-hmm. right. This is a this this is a whole level mm-hmm. beyond that. Definitely, and I think. Um, a lot of it, there are several things you could do to make the audience feel safe. You know, you can have them. Uh, you can ask for their level of like comfortability. Mm. You know, like if they're unwilling to do something, then like don't force them. You know, if they're if they're interested but they just need like clarification on what they need to do, then like provide it for them. You know, mm. I think like the more clarification you can give and the more direct. Uh, instructions that you can offer them will make them feel safe in the same way that when you learn how to play the games uh, play a game or any video game in particular you need to learn the rules first you know and once you know the controls then you feel like more you know more finesse yeah like you feel more liberated to just proceed and move forward Well, and you feel kind of in control Right? Yeah, you know, like, exactly. You know, yeah. you sit there with the controller, like, what does this thing do? There's and a then, handoff that needs yeah. to happen, you know, mm. which is what uh, I tried to mimic with um, Oblivious between round one and two. There's like a handing off of like, now that you know the controls, have at it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, you can walk around the space, you can flip over objects. No one's going to tell you no unless they tell you no. Right. So do it until you're being told no. It is the thing. And I think like that lended to the uh, the theme that I was trying to go for, which was, I mean, the, the world of Oblivious is set in this like um, fascistic um, s- surveillance state, you know? It's supposed to be this world where um, if Edward Snowden's worst fears had come true mm. or have fully come true, mm. uh, what would a democracy look like, right. you know? So like having that kind of theme in mind, I just wanted for the audience members to feel as though um, taking action is like choosing agency or choosing to have agency over a story. Mm. And I think like that form benefits um, from being a video game theater space, you know, because because then you feel empowered to act on something. And I think many times social change in this day and age just becomes a matter of like sharing a post or liking a page or like sitting behind something and doing something passively in the same way that like watching a theater piece for social change can like move you for one evening and you would not do anything the next moment you know so i wanted to find that space where audience members could actually feel compelled to do something yeah like even if like you know, it was completely fictional and it was just like a, a way to stand up to a government or whatever, or a way to revolutionize yourself in a fictional landscape, it would still give you that moment of like breaking through your own fourth wall. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's some, there's something to where we're, we're really in this mode of, I, I find when I'm encountering a piece of media and there isn't some degree of a call to action mm. as part of it, particularly if I'm listening, if I'm dealing with news, mm-hmm. you know, or like a documentary. Yeah. Uh, it was it's funny. I was like the other day I was listening to something uh, at work that uh, you know was reproducing and working towards developing to getting out there in the world. Mm-hmm. And I listened to this piece, and I was like. You know, production-wise, it was fantastic, but at the end of the day, I was like, what's the impact? And there's no mm-hmm. call to action, and, like, there's no hook. And, like, right. it's something that I could, like, pleasantly consume and be voyeuristic about someone's life. Yeah. But I didn't necessarily learn something about a corner of the world that I didn't know about before in, like, right. a, in, a, in a way that was, like, 
total surprise. Yeah. Um, which is a valid thing. Right, um, right. Gaining knowledge and gaining awareness is totally yeah, powerful. Because that's expanding your horizons on, right. on some level. But mm-hmm. there was no there was no personal impact in this thing. And then the the converse of that, there was no call to action, right? Mm-hmm. There was no like, oh, isn't this terrible or isn't this great? Mm-hmm. Here's a way to get involved, right? Right, right. And, and that's the only way something I feel like mm-hmm. spreads around these days is yeah. like somehow engaging us actively mm-hmm. and, and making us want to want to be involved. Yeah. But I, I do want to circle back around, though, because yeah. you mentioned that for Grandpa Johnson's, mm-hmm. I, I, Johnson is dead. Um, you were nervous. I was very nervous. So, yeah. so what was what was it that you were nervous about? Oh, my God. Well, many different things. Uh, <laughs> um, theater in general, I feel like me as a performer, I personally bring a lot of uh, personal memory into my performance. Mm. I bring a lot of uh, intimacy, you know, and I think that's something that's valuable as a theater practitioner or a theater performer is offering vulnerability to an audience. And as as far as like the audience, as much as the audience can be protected by not interacting with the show, the performer is also protected when they are not interacting with the audience members, mm. you know? So, I mean, for the most part, I've only been acting in things where I am on up on stage and I'm not like, I'm not having to deal with like all these like radical factors that the audience could throw at me, you know? There's a level that I'm protecting myself with. Right. So when I'm there with people, when I'm there to exchange information embedded in scenes that are actually from my personal life, when I'm there to share with somebody something that I've written, something that I've rehearsed on to show a bit of myself to, that's a very, you know, it's a very vulnerable experience, especially when you're trying to share that with a stranger who you don't know how they'll react, whether or not they'll even receive it well, whether or not they'll throw it in your face and go like, this is like complete like bull. I don't know why you're serving me up this. Like, for example, there's this one scene where I'm only taking one person out on this ride, basically. this like thrill ride. Like, oh, give me your token, whatever. I'm just, <laughs> no. But um, basically, I choose a member of the audience, and uh, I walk her through. Well, in this case, it was a female. I um, walk her through a memory that I have. But I don't say the memory out loud. I just hint at what's happening. Mm. And mm. she can tell that it's something really close and emotional, and so, like, there's this level of respect involved where she just gives consent or she gave me consent to just go, like, okay, well, I'm with you now, so just walk me through it, you know? So I described to her, like, this is the doorway. You're going to wait at it. You're going to knock at it. You have a letter in your hand. You wrote everything you needed to say in five sentences. And I think this is enough. Let's check and see if they're home, mm. you know? And then no one answers the door and all that. So I, I walk her through the house eventually when she goes past through the door and in when they see the person that I'm mentioning, but I'm not saying like who the person is. I'm allowing that space to grow so that she can insert whoever she thinks that person is. Mm. You know, so there's this there's this kind of exchange between yeah. the performer and the audience where I offer something personal, but I leave enough blanks open so that you can offer yourself too. Because it's a shared experience. And that's that's a really key point in, I think, this whole interactive space mm-hmm. is this idea of leaving room for 
the audience's imagination mm-hmm. to get mm-hmm. active. Yeah. Um, and th- that you can even do that with something that's essentially like a personal piece or like a memory piece. So that's, yeah. that's, that's an interesting challenge to mm-hmm. take on, mm-hmm. to like invite people. That's got to be kind of weird. Like, I'm going to invite you into my own, into my own memories. I'm not going to, I'm going to let you like sort of sketch out almost if yeah. it was a, a dream. That's like some kind of weird version of <laughs> gestalt therapy technique, right? You know, like oh, now yeah. you're the dog. Um, <laughs> Or, or whatever. Yeah. Was there a dog in last night? No, no, like, no. What was I dreaming about last night? <laughs> oh, right, the election. Oh, God, that was terrible. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> no, but there's, mm-hmm. there's, there is something. I always keep coming back to this, this creating space for the audience. Or to holding com- space, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. for them to, to complete the sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I always yeah. this bit about like you know the final edit of a movie isn't you know the directors or the studios it's the audience who's sitting there assembling in their head mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. the final assemblage like what they totally. what they what they see what they choose to see what they're capable of seeing right what is socially relevant at the time yeah and how they remember it yeah you know those mm-hmm. that's the actual that's the thing that actually gets left behind um, in in the movie yeah you know that's the imprint it makes on the world definitely um, and when you start thinking about art. In that way, you know, then we're running into the whole phenomenological, you know, part of this universe. You know, it's yeah. like it's about what's playing out in people's heads, and mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. not like all the other tools that are summoned up to make that happen mm-hmm. have to be summoned up, and you have to make real effort, and you still need structure to get to that point. Yeah, but to think that you can just lay it on the audience, and they're gonna, you know, they're yeah. gonna accept. Yeah, and that's something that's also really vulnerable to put yourself in when you're a creator of a show or like when you're devising something that Mm. you're offering to the audience. You're offering some part of yourself, but you're also expecting an offering in return Mm. and you don't know what you're going to get. You know, yeah. so there's like something very vulnerable about that as well. You just have to like trust that whatever you've made needs to be somewhat unfinished so that someone else can complete it. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's why, um, well, I mean, like the Hollywood fringe for me has been such like a godsend and like all these uh, Cal Arts pieces that I've been in have been, you know, so wonderful for me as well, because I feel like the workshop process of making theater is like super beneficial to what we're trying to accomplish, mm. especially in a live space. You know, you need a lot of room for conversation. You need a room for back and forth. And that's why, like, I'm going to go to what we talked about um in a previous meeting, I, uh, I talked about this one person who reviewed my show and said that um, this, this mode of show was rather, uh, it was already like obsolete or it was already surpassed by escape room games, right. which is another form of themed entertainment, right? right? Like you go into an escape room and you solve puzzles and you get out within the hour, you know? I actually work at one, so I know like exactly what they are. <laughs> but um, yeah, and... I found that really super interesting because I was just like, okay, so you think that the purpose of what I created is to create a live game space and then walk out feeling like you've accomplished a game, which is part of it. But I feel like the important distinction between an escape room game and what I was trying to make, which is a video game theater piece, is that I'm trying to be a theater piece that has interactive components. You right. know, I'm not trying to be a one-way street where the audience members are left to their own devices in an environment that will contain all that needs to be contained with no um, 
conversation uh, being given back, you know? Like, I want it to be a two-way street where the audience feeds off of the players and can offer something as well. And then, like, in that kind of setting, there's a back-and-forth conversation to be had because the the liveness of it begs live interaction. Right. You know? Well, there's something in a a certain way, uh, an escape room is kind of like a book you read it right you you consume you, it yeah you you pass you, fail yeah exactly and, you know you fix yeah. you fix the puzzles out you might i've seen ones that have a story right. and those are and those are brilliant yes fantastic yeah. i've right. seen ones that kind of try and have a story right. and it's like no they're, they're themed but it's yeah. also like reading a book though yeah you know it's it's not like talking to a person right yeah it's not like talking to the author of that book yeah so yeah like, although I also have heard of rooms where the mm. person who made the room like hangs out in the room and it's just like, <laughs> nope, wrong. No, you want to do this instead, which is like, <laughs> why would you, why would you, you well, you're making the wrong thing, buddy. Maybe right, right. I mean, it, it gets me into a mode of like, oh, you know, let's, mm-hmm. let's go there. Like, um, like mm-hmm. in a role playing game, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, you have, you have this range of things from like, you have the published adventures mm-hmm. and you can read those like a book. Mm-hmm. And you can get all kinds of enjoyment. And indeed, there are some publishing companies that like made crap tons of money just like mm-hmm. basically being comic book publishers, but mm-hmm. you know, without having to pay comic book artists. Mm-hmm, they just mm-hmm. they had some illustrators going, but it wasn't exactly the same thing. And mm. I'm very guilty of buying tons of those <laughs> books um, and following along with like the plot lines as they evolved. Yeah. But the actual role playing game mm. is is a give and take and mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. improvised to a certain degree. Right. And it's improv is a huge amount. Yeah. Massively. Mm-hmm. And you, you have the structure, you know where you're going, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. what's possible because of the characters that you, the game master have, have mm-hmm. devised. Yeah. But your players are also doing things that are completely unexpected. And because yes. of that are shifting you in different ways mm-hmm. and they're entertaining each other. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, and in this day and age, and like I, 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 it's been a while, but I, I have a semi-regular game that I run, and that hasn't been true in in, in over a decade, and it's kind of amazing mm-hmm. uh, to have one now because the last time I was gaming on the regular, mm-hmm. we didn't have cell phones, mm-hmm. and my players will be sitting at this very table, and they might be like playing a game, and they're playing just like a match three game or something like that, just right. like snake you know, two, right? Just like keep <laughs> keep themselves occupied while they're yeah. not the active one because there's a lot of you know, you're putting the spotlight on different people. Like mm-hmm. you're you're going back and forth between being an audience member and being a performer right. in, in these scenarios. Yeah. But what's what's fun is when suddenly they are entertaining each other and it's not mm-hmm. just about me entertaining the active player, right. but it's the active player and I mm-hmm. are are in in this exchange that's mm-hmm. humorous enough that the rest of the or it's interesting enough or it's tense enough or requires their problem solving skills mm-hmm. or everyone mm-hmm. jumps in right um and that dynamic you know mm-hmm. then it becomes a group activity exactly. and then it becomes something like truly truly enjoyable right, right um and that's not would not be possible if we were all sitting down with a puzzle book mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and going line by line or even, you know, I guess Mad Libs, you could right. like do the Mad Libs thing. I but mean, like, they can yeah. also be collaborative as well. Right. I mean, like Escape Room Games, and they can definitely have like immersive 
themes where like you have to interact with right. each other but, but it's but, still to a goal right yeah. and, and they can't elevate themselves beyond like Mm-mm. every possibility is packed within the room in that space exactly right yeah there's no room for emergent gameplay they're right. not sandboxes exactly right exactly yeah that's you know, why they don't uh many of them don't have replay value for that reason oh like none yeah like, well not none there's a few but like right. everyone that has replay value has replay value either in if you failed mm-hmm. then you're just like oh and you can get through it faster right uh, exactly you know, get, get back to your fail point. it's also very results oriented right right and yeah. then a few they'll switch out some puzzles right you know mm-hmm. like it's like okay so like now the key's over over here instead of over there mm-hmm. and there's mm-hmm. there's one that in town that does that and like i haven't been to it at all and mm-hmm. some of the people who want to go with me um, to it like they've been in a version of it so mm-hmm. we'll have this like weird thing where we're gonna we're talking about the basement and just why hide it mm-hmm. um, we'll have this weird <laughs> thing where it's like oh well did everyone did everyone who wants to go who's already been they do the same version or like mm-hmm. is there a version we can all do together right. and then there's also like I know some, I know a bunch about that about that particular game so right. some things are spoilers have already been spoiled for me right. but like will it it's not going to be the same as someone who's never been in that room mm-hmm, having mm-hmm. that full experience. Like even I won't be able to have that experience because I've physically been in the room, even though I haven't right. played the game. Yeah. And like, I happen to know what the start of the game is like. And mm-hmm. like the, 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 the opening couple of minutes, yeah. uh, someone's told me about it and mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, that's been taken away from me. And yeah. there's, it's a lot different when it's someone... It's plot driven. And yeah. so when a piece of the plot has been given away, like yeah. your experience has been tarnished, you know? Yeah. 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 And, and, and that's one of the funny things about, the culture we live in right now, like yeah. the the this allergic aversion to plot that <laughs> that a particular like, like spoiler culture is this like overcompensation for people who like don't derive enjoyment from plot, mm. just sort of like pooping on it wow. for like the rest of us. And somehow I feel about it because it's like yeah. when I see people say like, oh, like it doesn't matter, like if you can't enjoy it, I've watched people like make this argument. It's, oh, if you can't enjoy it without with the plot being spoiled, then it wasn't good in the first place. And it's like, mm. but like plot twists can be awesome. Mm-hmm. Plot twists are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like that anticipation, that moment where you're guessing, is mm. it this, is it that? Like right. that's not the only mode, but it's part mm-hmm. of the artist's palette. Yeah. And to just just to like sort of have this attitude towards mm. a whole section of the palette Mm. Uh, that you're just like, no, no, that's not important. Mm. And to devalue it enough, they just, well, I'll do, I'm just going to tell you who who Darth Vader really is, right? right. It's just like, ugh, you know? Right. And back in my day, that was like a punishable by death offense on the schoolyard, you know? Right. Um, <laughs> like, we did not we did not do that. But, like, yeah. the, the pressures in our society are, are all around being first knowing you know knowing the plot the first adults know. mm. you know being able to being in on the conversation about these cultural objects right. and but i don't think it needs to be a competition amongst ourselves you know right. like I, I think i don't know why it's become that way i i have right? no idea i think we're just trying to outsmart each other i think that's mm. the thing i think one of the appeals of the escape room games is to feel you know like you're outsmarting everybody else you know yeah. or like you can be the one that got out of this room in the shortest amount of time or like you can be the one that like solved this faster than everybody else yeah you know whereas like Le- or theater, because you're beating the yeah. you're beating the puzzle maker right you know? right yeah. and like in theater i feel like the most important thing is that ensemble sense or that sense of building community mm. you're all on the same side you're competing against the game itself right and like you know you're not trying to prove to somebody else that you are the person 
that's like meant to take all the victory right in that sense so yeah i mean like there have been there were several times during the run of oblivious where people were switched out and uh you know even the second time around people have failed as well you know like it took them several rounds just to like figure it out but when they all did it was a shared victory nice. you know yeah so I'm happy about that. I, I'm still like fascinated by how to build that sense of ensemble, you know. Yeah. In most things that I do, I think like the strongest pieces I have been in have been, you know, ensemble pieces or ensemble movement pieces. It's interesting to to take that feeling and that instinct that ensembles where you mm-hmm. sort of feel at home, mm-hmm. and try and expand that to the audience. Yeah. Like that's because there is there are times. In, in some forms of theater where it feels that the audience is the other opponent. There's a game between mm-hmm. the performers mm-hmm. and the audience. It's like, we're going to give show them a good time. You know, right. like we're going to beat their glum mood. We're going to, mm-hmm. we're going to get laughs out of we're them. We're going to make them cry. We're going like, to make them to, cry. Yeah. Right? Like they're the, anti- they're the real antagonists. It's yeah. us versus them. Yeah. Right. And but, again, that's another like goal oriented way to look at it right. instead of offering them the wholeness of having a journey. Yeah. Yeah. It's still, it's a, it's a finite game involving like two sides. Mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, a, a less finite game that involves everyone playing to keep playing. That's another one thing in that book. Like mm-hmm. uh, Finite players play uh, to, to finish mm-hmm. a game. Mm-hmm. Infinite mm-hmm. players play to keep on playing. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And that's, and that's very true in that idea of expanding the ensemble. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, wonderful. That's a fun place to end. So <laughs> I think we'll, we'll stop there. Okay. Um, Jennifer, thank you for coming on the show today. You're welcome. I got a feeling we'll be doing this again at some point. So. <laughs> Yay. Once again, want to thank Jennifer Zhang for being our guest on the show today. Our theme music is by Chris Porter. You can contact us at Twitter at no Priscinium, on Facebook at facebook.com slash no proscenium. You can find our medium collection at medium.com slash no dash proscenium. You can email us, which is the best way to contact us, no underscore proscenium at outlook.com. And if you like what you hear, and I hope you do, and if you like what you read in the newsletter, and I know you do, consider shuffling over to Patreon, patreon.com slash no proscenium and pledging just just a dollar a month. Just a dollar a month can make a huge difference in terms of what we're able to do for you here. And uh, yeah, more on that in the very, very near future. I keep saying that and then it keeps on not happening, but I'm, I'm kind of busy. Oh, and uh, last but not least, oh man, I forgot this in the intro, uh, IndieCade's coming up and we've curated night games and there's going to be a bunch of immersive theater at it. So if you're in Los Angeles around October 15th or just October in general, you should come to IndieCade. The Hamlet Mobile is going to be there and we've curated uh, we've curated the, the night games and there's going to be a bunch of stuff. We talked about it last time. I'll talk about it more next time. It's a busy day. All right. Um... I've got things to go do and people to see and places to be kidnapped from. So I'll see you next week. I hope. And until then, I'll see you at the show.